number 11. coming through. Good morning, everybody. We're just working out a little. uh... Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Let's stand together and let's worship the Lord together. It is great to see each and every one of you today, especially the royal court of the Mikolas. I love it very (laughs) much. (laughs) You guys are awesome. Yes, you are. That is awesome. I love it. Oh, Prince Andrew. Okay. You're Prince Andrew? Very cool. <laughs> All right, let's get our hands together just like this. And let's sing. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all. The world's thy hands have made. I see the stars, and I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe display. And then sings, and sings my song, my Savior God to me. How great thou art, how great thou art, and sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou How great Thou art, how great You are. And when I think that God, His Son, not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. On that cross. That on the cross. My burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, then sings my soul, my Savior God to be. How great thou art, how great thou art. Sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Oh, how great Thou art. Shout of acclamation and shake. 
be a day. Much to be grateful for, as always, but especially, I tell you, after our trunk retreat yesterday, my heart was really full. It was just uh, just a fantastic afternoon, and I just want to say thank you to everyone who donated candy and made a trunk and, and uh, just met so many people from the community, and it was just such a great time. So thank you for that, and uh, I'm grateful for that, and I'm grateful for God's amazing grace that we don't have to earn. We don't have to do a, uh, you know, God isn't keeping score, so to speak, of, uh, of our, uh, our efforts to become, uh, you know, to become worthy of his love, of his grace, of his acceptance. It is there for us because of Jesus, right? Amen. That is his amazing grace. And that is what I want to celebrate right now. Here we go. Let's sing, church. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King of all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless? With awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. And this is, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life, that I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. 
seat for a second. Good morning, Solana Valley Church. Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. Right now, we are going to um, continue our worship by taking communion together. And today, we have that privilege. And it is truly a privilege to be able to take communion together. For some, communion can almost become like a sleepy ritual where we have a wafer and we have some juice. And, uh, but it was never intended to be like that. It was intended to be reflective. It's intended to be where we are awestruck um, of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It's a time of worship. It's a time of gratitude. It's a time of thankfulness. And it's a time of remembrance. It's an invitation to sit at God's table and to be served by the king himself. 
in the Bible, meals were a time of gathering, and feasts were a time when communities would come together to celebrate and share life. And so taking the Lord's Supper together is where we come together and we share our spiritual life. When you read uh, Matthew's account of the Last Supper, one incredible truth surfaces, and that is it's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. Matthew 26 tells us it was Jesus who selected the place, he selected the time, and he set the meal in order. Matthew 26 tells us that at the supper, Jesus is not the guest. The king of kings is not the guest, but he's the host. Jesus is not the one being served, but he is serving. It's Jesus who during the summer supper puts on the, the garb of a servant and washes the disciples' feet, and he's the most active one at the table. He's not portrayed as the one who reclines and receives, but as the one who stands and gives, and he still does. The Lord's Supper is a gift to you and a gift to me. It's an invitation to come, reflect, offer thanksgiving for our Lord and Savior. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament, It's a rite that is ordained by Christ. The Lord's Supper is a time to reflect on all that Jesus did. He fulfilled his role as a rabbi and as a teacher by guiding his disciples through the Passover. He fulfilled his role as a servant by washing their feet. And he fulfilled his role as a savior by granting them forgiveness of their sins. He was in charge. He was the person behind that moment and in that moment and he still is it's the lord's table that you and i come to it is the lord's supper that you and i eat it's a holy invitation a sacred sacrament begging you to leave the chores of life behind and come and enter his presence he meets us at the table when bread is broken christ broke it When the juice is poured, Christ pours it. And when your burdens are lifted, it is because the king has drawn near. I'm going to ask you to come forward. And I'm going to have this side come over here and this side of the church to come near Steve. And we're going to be handed um, our juice and our our wafer. And after everyone has had the opportunity to, to get that, and take your seats back. I'm going to pray um, pray for us um, before we take the Lord's Supper together. So go ahead and right now um, come to each side and get the sacrament.
Okay. Can I just say, McCullough family, I love seeing your family take the Lord's Supper together. Awesome. So right now, I'd, I'd like to lead us right now in a special prayer to help us prepare our hearts to take communion together. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility, and we ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything, God, that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride or any known pride, any unconfessed sin, any rebellion or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. Our desire, God, is to live for you and to come to your table with pure hearts. In Jesus' name. On the night when he, he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke and he said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Bill, I'm successful. Okay. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, the supreme sacrifice for all of our sin, past, present, and future. And Jesus, we thank you for being willing to go to the cross. You still still do everything for us, and you still are everything. And because of your blood shed for us and your body broken for us, we can be free from the power and the penalty of sin. What a gift. Thank you for the victory over sin. Thank you for the victory over death. Thank you for taking the death that we deserved. And thank you, thank you, thank you for inviting us to the table. Today we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life that you are and that you gave us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Could imagine 
so great a mercy what heart could fathom such boundless grace the god of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken
our living hope, for being the source of all truth, the source of all grace. We thank you so much for saving us, for preparing a place for us, and for your constant faithfulness and presence in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Joy. I wanted to say good morning, church family. Good morning, royal family. I feel unworthy to be in your presence this morning. No. Speaking of being unworthy, I felt like when Carolyn was speaking and we were doing communion this morning, that's the feeling that just came over me, is that feeling of, I am so unworthy of what Jesus did for me, but I am so thankful he did what he did. Amen. Okay. Sorry, I am I'm just overcome this morning. Um, sorry. Um, I just feel like I need to tell you guys that if you're in a broken place, that's where God wants you to be, and that's where he meets us. So, anyway, um, he's the one that does the changing in our lives and our hearts, and so I just needed to be reminded of that today. Um, Anyway, I just want to welcome you if you're on Facebook or YouTube, and first off, I just want to encourage you if you have not connected in a group, please do so. If you're a lady, we're going to be meeting tonight at 4 o'clock in Joy's Backyard for our um, study that we're doing in First Peter, which has been awesome. We've had some really great growth, some really good conversation, and it's, also, it's always great to hear other people, what they are hearing from God and what they're reading and sharing. And so it's like eye-opening. There's so many times when somebody will share, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't get that, but I, now I see that. So it's just a great way to add to what you're getting from God, to hear what other people are getting from God as well. Um, if you can't join that group, we have a Tuesday night group with the Classens. That's for men and women. We have a Thursday night group with the Acords. That's also for men and women. We also have a student ministry uh, group that meets every Wednesday night here at church from 7 to 8.30. That's from students ages 6th grade to 12th grade, and we have a lot of fun. Right now we're watching The Chosen Season 2, which is awesome and um, life-changing. So um, I just encourage you to join a group. Um, You can find information on our app, the SVC app. If you don't have the app, go to the um, App Store or the Google Play, and you can download it. You could also go to our SVC website uh, for information as well. Um, Last night, or not last night, yesterday afternoon, we had the opportunity, like Matt shared, to do our trunk or treat, and it was amazing, as always. Joy and I were talking about how many people we think we served. Um, We didn't actually count the cars, but we had over probably 100 children come through, um, just based on the amount of bags that we gave out. We almost ran out of candy. I mean, we would have, but... Uh, Christelle Tenti had actually brought extra candy. We had so much candy that I thought, oh, we're, we have, you know, plenty of candy. And we went through that candy like you wouldn't even believe. So, I mean, God just blessed us with so many families, so many kids. 
it was great because some of the people parked their cars and they actually got out and walked. And so it was just a great way to to just be with our community and, sh- and share love with them. And I was encouraged because some of our youth group kids came um, that don't even come to our church regularly. They came to help out. Uh, my daughter's friend that has never even been to youth group, he came and he served yes- yesterday. We had our Cub Scout uh, group from uh, that Jeremy, he's the pack leader of that group. They came and they served yesterday, some kids. And so it was just great to see like a lot of young people serving other young people. And uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. I personally this week have been an M&M. I have been a banana. And I have been a mermaid. So I've been through quite a metamorphosis this week. That might be why I'm so emotional. I don't know. But anyway, um, yes. So uh, right now, we're going to go ahead and and focus on our offering time. Um, It's just another part of our worship And it's part of what we do to just give back to God. All of that we have is his. And so this is a way for us to honor him in our giving and giving in a joyful way. That's what he wants from us is to give joyfully. In Proverbs 11.25, it says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Your gift will help us minister God's hope and healing to our community and beyond. So you can give your gift here in person. Or there's some other ways to do it online. Let me go over all those different ways of giving. Here we go. The first is online at solanovalley.org backslash giving. You can tap give on the SVC phone app. You can send a check to 1307 Oliver Road in Fairfield, California, 94534. You can text the word give to 707-883-3019. And, again, if you're here in person, we have a little uh, silver slot in the back wall that you can drop your um, your offering in. So at this time, I want to welcome up Pastor Gary as he continues the series in John. Thank you, guys. All right. Oops. Oh, sorry. That's okay. That's okay. I think that may have been me. I'm not sure. Hey, uh, first of all, thank you so much, Jen, for the announcements. Really appreciate that. And I really appreciate your heart. I really do. Very, very much. I think all of us do, don't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think she's a real person. And the truth is, all of us have brokenness in our lives. She was speaking of that. And that's where God always meets us. He meets us in our brokenness. I think when I was a kid, I kind of grew up thinking that church is where all the good people come together. And you have to look good so all the good people will like you. And the truth is, is that all of us are broken and all of us need a Savior. And uh, and I'm just really grateful that God has met me in my own personal brokenness. If you are with us today on either Facebook or YouTube, we're really glad you're with us. Uh, and, uh, yeah, thank you for joining us. We're really glad you're here. Uh, yesterday was so much fun. It really was. It was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, so everybody who participated, Cub Scout group, if any of you are watching online, Thank you for being here, for serving young people. Thank you for serving all of you who put together trunks, all of you who brought candy. Just want to say a really, really big thank you to you. You know, our mission as a church is inviting people to follow Jesus. That's what we're about. We're about inviting people to follow Jesus. Why? Because we're all broken. Exactly what Jen said a moment ago. All of us need Jesus to meet us in our places of brokenness. And that's why our mission, our mission isn't to look good. 
so all the good people will like us. Our mission is to invite people to follow Jesus with us. Because we are broken people. They are broken people. They need the same Jesus I need. They seem need the same Jesus that you need. And so our mission is inviting people to follow Jesus. And, and our strategy is to worship, grow, serve, and reach. To worship God in all we do. To grow in Christ day by day. To serve others over self. And to reach our community and our world one person at a time. And folks, let me just say this really quickly. Is that this idea of reaching is hugely important. The reason we do things like yesterday. The reason we do that is because we're trying to build gospel bridges to people in our community who don't know Jesus. Yesterday, I got to see several families who showed up uh, who came because I invited their children uh, to come and be here. And it was really fun. It was really fun. to. Re- and those kids were, like, excited to see me. I was excited to see them. I was excited to see their parents. I was excited to meet their parents. And what we're doing is we're building gospel bridges so that we can plant gospel seeds where people can come to know Jesus. And that doesn't happen unless all of us are doing it together. So every one of you who served in any way, I just want to say a really, really big thank you uh, for participating with us in that. We're going to continue to do this kind of thing in the future, but I I really am grateful for that. Uh, Real quick, I'd like to look ahead. Uh, I'd like to tell you we're going to finish up our series on the Gospel of John uh, in the month of November and then begin in December 5th. I think that's the first Sunday in December. Uh, I, I, how many of you like stories? Anybody like stories? I love stories. Any of you like Christmas stories? I do too. I mean, like Charlie Brown Christmas, you know. <laughs> like, I don't know, Red, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer when I was a little kid. Like, it's a wonderful life. Uh, like like uh, Elf, okay? Like Elf, all right. So we love Christmas stories, but there's a better Christmas story than all of that, Okay. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the Christmas stories in the Bible. We're just going to take time to remember a lot of things that bring us a lot of joy. And we're going to do that. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in the pace of getting ready for Christmas, we, we can kind of miss, uh, we, we miss celebrating what Christmas is really about in our celebrating. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do a series on Christmas stories. And then after the first of the year, I'm wanting to kick off a brand new series called Uncontested on the Fruit of the Spirit. And what it's going to be is it will be something like a spiritual growth campaign. So a number of our small group leaders, I'm going to be asking them to lead us through Bible studies on the book of Galatians, uh, where the fruit of the Spirit is talked about. And then I'm going to be doing messages each Sunday on each one of the fruits of the Spirit. And so I think this is going to be an opportunity for all of us to, in our world today, do we need the fruit of the Spirit? Heck yeah. Do they need the fruit of the Spirit in Congress? You betcha. Okay, we need it in the White House. We need it in the governor's house. We need it in Sacramento. We need it in D.C. By the way, we need it right here. We do. We need to hear the most. We need it in our families. We need it in our church. We need it in our community. So we're going to look at that. We're going to talk about that. And uh, really, really looking forward to that. This probably looks weird with this on my chin, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Rudy. Appreciate your encouragement there. Just kidding. Rudy tells me the truth, all right? Hey, you need people. You need truth-tellers in your life. You do. You do. Truth is our friend. 
Uh, you know, sometimes in life, young people, if there are some of you watching either online, those of you who are present, one thing I want you to understand is this. In this life, sometimes you're going to have trouble. You do. Not just you're going to get in trouble with mom and dad or your teacher or something like that. I mean, that happened for me, all right? Probably doesn't happen for you guys. It happened for me, all right? But in this world, sometimes we're going to have trouble. And if you're a young person, the way that trouble looks like, you know, um, I don't want to pretend like I know what your life is like. I just know some of the things that I faced. Uh, you know, sometimes what it looks like is feeling like you don't belong. Feeling like you don't belong. Like all your friends are invited to a party, but maybe you're left out. And so you feel like you just kind of feel left out. You feel alone. And so sometimes it can look like that. Sometimes trouble for us, it can look like you're facing a bully and you're afraid and you feel intimidated. And if you're a young person and you're facing that, call me, give me the name and the address, and I'll take care of it. Just kidding. I won't do that. I'd go to jail. All right? But listen, I know what that feels like. I mean, I face that as a young person, and I know what that feels like. That for a young person, sometimes, sometimes trouble for us can feel, not that us, not that I am a young person. I guess I am young if you're 80, but... Uh, but, you know, if, 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 you know, what, what, what trouble can look like and what trouble can, can feel like sometimes is it can feel like um, feeling pressure to compromise, to do something you know is wrong in order to fit in. By the way, everything I just said there is something that adults experience as well. But sometimes we feel all alone. Sometimes we feel like we don't have a place to be included. Sometimes we can feel like we face bullies, maybe at work or elsewhere. And sometimes in life, we, we can feel temptation to compromise in order to fit in, to fit in with our culture, to fit in at work or fit in anywhere. And sometimes in life, we face trouble. And in, in John, the Gospel of John, the disciples were facing, they were facing a time of great trouble. They were, fu- they were facing a time of deep anguish. You know what anguish feels like? Waiting for a medical report. Maybe not for yourself, but for a loved one. And you're afraid. You know what anguish feels like? It, maybe it's caring for an aging parent. Maybe it's the death of someone you love dearly. Maybe it's a marriage that feels like it's coming apart. Maybe it's financial turmoil and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. But we face trouble sometimes in this life. And in John chapter 14, the disciples were facing a time of deep anguish and great trouble. Their hearts felt tortured. They've just heard from Jesus that one of their very own will betray them, betray him. They have just just heard from Jesus that he is going away from them and that they can't come with him. He, they just heard from, from Jesus that even Peter will deny him. And they feel great trouble. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. I want to read for you from, this is uh, out of the NIV Bible. Uh, we're going to have it up on the screen. I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, to open up to it. If you have a phone app, I would encourage you to own up, uh, open up to it. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. And this is what Jesus says. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many wombs. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas, one of the disciples of Jesus, confused by what Jesus is saying here. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm sorry, I lost my place. Verse 7. If you, I, wasn't, I wasn't pausing for dramatic impact there, okay? I was pausing because I had no clue where I was at. Verse 7. If you really know me, Jesus said, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip, another one of the disciples, another one of the disciples, Philip also confused by what Jesus is saying. You ever feel confused when you read your Bible? Well, so did they, okay? They were confused by what Jesus was saying. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that would be enough for us. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to see God? Yeah. Show us the Father, and it would be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me that when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, says Jesus, Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. The disciples of Jesus were deeply anxious and concerned about the departure of Jesus. And in this address, Jesus speaks to their troubled hearts, but I also think he speaks to us today. And what I want to do is I want to look at, at four things if I can. You know, we may not get to all four. But I want to look to four things that I think are hugely important that we need to understand when we listen to the words of Jesus. The first thing that I want you to see is simply this, is that Jesus is preparing an eternal home for us. Okay? Jesus is preparing an eternal home for us. What Jesus says 
is he says, he tells them, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then in verses 2 and 3, he says this, My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. That what Jesus is doing is he's preparing an eternal home for us. And he is coming again one day. Now, we don't know when Jesus will come again. He could come again before I finish this message. Uh, He could come again. He could come again before the end of this day. He could come this week. He could come this month. We don't know when Jesus is going to come again. But this is what we know, is that Jesus is coming again. And according to the scriptures, he says, I am coming quickly. When he comes, it's going to be like the snap of a finger. That Jesus is coming again. And what Jesus is doing is he right now is preparing a place for you and me to be with him forever and ever. Now, why is that important? Why does that help us in times of trouble? You know, from time to time, I, I, I like to call my mom, hopefully more than time to time, probably not enough. But oftentimes my mom and I will talk. And there are things that we talk about. We kind of talk about what's happening in our day or our week, you know, stuff like that. But, but a lot of times when we talk, a lot of times we will talk about my dad. We like to talk about my dad together. We like to uh, just kind of reminisce. We, we like to remember uh, things that my dad said, things that my dad did, things that make us smile, things that make us laugh. And so sometimes when we talk, we'll talk about my dad. Um, and, you know, the thing is, is I, I think, yeah, my dad has passed away, but my dad is with Jesus right now. That right now, he is in that home, that, that home that Jesus is preparing for us. He is with God in this moment. I believe that. I believe he is as real and as alive today as he ever was when he was on this planet. The other thing that we often will talk about, my mom and I, is we often talk about heaven. We talk about, sometimes we just kind of imagine and wonder, what will heaven be like? It's real funny. My, my mom used to tell my dad that she believed that, that one day, when they were both in heaven, she would get to play my dad in golf. My dad was an avid golfer. She would tell my dad she believed that she'd be able to play my dad in golf and that she would beat him. And my dad would laugh hysterically. He felt like even in heaven it wasn't possible. And I'm pretty sure that my mom has lived a much better life. She will kick his butt in heaven. Okay? If you could do that. All right? But, you know, the thing is, is that I believe that heaven is real, very real. And I think the more real heaven becomes for us, the lighter our hearts become with the troubles of this world. The reason that sometimes I get overwhelmed by the troubles of this life is because I lose focus on how real heaven is and how quickly Jesus is coming. The more I lose the sense of the reality of heaven, the more anxious and concerned and anguished I become about the things of this life in this world that are passing away. But the more I focus my life around the, the absolute reality of heaven and the coming again of Jesus, the lighter my heart is in the middle of concerns and trouble. Does that make sense? Second thing I want to say to you today that I think is hugely important in this text is, yes, Jesus is preparing an eternal home for us. But secondly, Jesus is the one and only way to God. In verse 6, this is what Jesus says. 
In verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, very quickly, very quickly, let's focus in on these words for a moment. And let's think about this. See, these words are incredibly offensive. They are hugely offensive. Jesus is saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I remember as a 16-year-old young man, and, and some of you may or may not have had this experience, but in our world, one of the things that turns irreligious people off to church oftentimes is... Um, well, well, sometimes, well, I'll get into that in a moment, okay? Is that oftentimes irreligious people are offended, not so much by Jesus, but by people who call themselves Christians. And they're not turned off by the gospel. They're turned off by religion. And there's a difference between the gospel and there's a difference between religion. Well, let me explain this to you. And I may not get this right, so give me a little bit of grace on this one, okay? Give me a little bit of grace on this one. I was 16 years old. I was at a, a football a football game uh, at McClellan High School. I went to school at Mills. Uh, we pretty much despised McClellan. And the reason we despised McClellan is because they beat us every year, okay? It's kind of like Arkansas against Alabama, all right? You despise Alabama. Why? Because they always beat you, all right? Of course, we're not the only ones who despise Alabama. Everybody else does too, okay? Uh, but, but, you know, I remember I was at this game, and I was talking with some people. We were talking about God, which is kind of weird, you know, because at that time I was smoking as much dope as I could, all right? And most of my friends were too. But somehow we got into this conversation about God, and in this moment I felt like I had this insight, and it's not an insight that's unique with me. I've heard it uh, from other people before, is I came up with this magical insight that God is like a mountain. And there are many paths to the top. And that Christianity and Jesus just happens to be the path for those who are Christians. Okay? For me as a 16-year-old, it sounded very reasonable. But I want to think about the analogy with you for a moment. See, the thing is, is that I would say that God is nothing like a mountain. See, in religion, in religion we might say God is like a mountain. And we might say in religion that I am climbing my way to the top. I am climbing my way to the top by, you know, obeying the Ten Commandments and by doing this and doing that, going to church, memorizing Scripture, reading only from this version of the Bible, because all the others come from the devil, you know, only singing hymns, because we know all modern music is of the devil, particularly, you know, rock music or nowadays rap music. You know, and, 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 and see, the thing is, you know what's offensive about all of that? Is that is religion has nothing to do with Jesus. That is moralism has nothing to do with Jesus. And so in my mind, what, what, what I was thinking is, yeah, you know, I'm kind of like climbing my way to God, trying to do all the right things, like smoking dope, okay? Somehow that fit into my way of thinking at that time as a 16-year-old, back, back in the 1970s. And so... This was kind of the way I think. But this is where that analogy fails. You see, God is nothing like a mountain. A mountain, you have to climb your way to the top. A mountain is passive. A mountain is inactive. A mountain does nothing for you. But see, the gospel 
says something very, very different. See, the gospel is this. is I'm in a burning building. It's on fire. Suffering and death are imminent. If I don't die by smoke inhalation, I will die by the flames. But Jesus, nothing like an inanimate mountain who does nothing that does nothing. Jesus is much more like a firefighter who at great peril to his own life, in fact, laying down his life, fights his way through the fire so that through him I can be saved. You see, what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, I am the way, come this way. Now, me, at that time, I thought, well, no, 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 you're just one way out of this burning building. I can go that way through that door. And Jesus says, no. If you go through that door, on the other side of that door, there are flames, destruction, and suffering. Well, then I'll go through this door. No, through that door, there are flames and destruction and suffering. Well, I'll go through that. No, through that door. There's, Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, if Jesus is wrong here, if Jesus is wrong when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you're right. This is very offensive because he's just one of many ways. But think about this for a moment. If Jesus is one of many ways, think of how unnecessary his suffering was. Jesus didn't need to be beaten. He didn't have to be stripped naked. He didn't have to have a crown of thorns pushed down over his head. He did not have to have spikes driven through his hands and his feet. He did not have to be um, his back laid open um, with a scourge. He didn't have to suffer on the cross with everything I've ever said, done, or think. Every sin of mine and every sin of yours, all of my brokenness, all of your brokenness on him. The death of Jesus was entirely unnecessary. But if Jesus is, in fact, the way, the truth, and the life, if, in fact, no one does come to the Father except through him, then this is the most important, this is the most important news you have to deal with. See, your eternal destiny, the eternal destiny of every man, woman, and child depends upon will they accept these words of Jesus and believe in him or will they turn it aside and try to climb their way to the top of religion to make themselves righteous before God. It's the difference between religion and the gospel. Jesus is preparing an eternal home for us. Jesus is the one and only way to God. Third, Jesus is the physical expression of the invisible God. That what Philip in verse 8, he says, Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And the way Jesus responds is he says, Have I been with you so long, Philip, and you still don't know me? What he says to Philip is he says, he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. See, Jesus has been saying to them for a long time in the Gospel of John, and just a few chapters before this, in chapter 12, just a few days before this, Jesus cries out. He says to them, 
that the one who believes in me does not believe in me only, but also in him who sent me. And the one who sees me, sees me, sees him who sent me. That's John 12, verses 44 and 45. He's been telling Philip this. He's been telling the other disciples this. He's been telling, in fact, this is part of the reason why the Jews want to kill him. Because he is calling God his father, making himself out to be God. Philip, like many people, wanted to see God and miss the one who was right in front of him. That um, even Moses, a lot of times people think, if I could see God, it would all be different. If I could see God, it would be so much easier to believe him, to obey him, to follow him. Even Moses wanted to see God. And when Moses asked to see God, God said that no one can see me in all my glory and live. Now, there were in the Old Testament scriptures, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, others who saw great visions of God. And it's very possible. That's what Philip was asking for, was seeing God the Father in some kind of vision. But Philip's error is that he's failed to see the union of God the Father and God the Son. uh, Showing, um, and, and what Jesus is, is that he is for us the physical expression of the invisible God. Now, think about this for a moment. That that Jesus is the physical expression of the invisible God. In John chapter 1, verse 18, uh, you can write this down, look at it later, but in John chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible says, no one has seen God at any time. God, the only Son, who is in the arms of the Father, has explained Him. The Greek word explained literally means to exegete. That he is the actual physical expression of the invisible God. He shows us what God is like. So that when we see him in all that he does, we see the Father. We see the Father. Fourth point. Wow. I'm going to go into this real quick. I just think it's important. I'm going to go into this. Fourth point is this. It's a little bit wordy. I apologize. A little bit wordy. I don't know how to say it better. But Jesus is working through those who believe in him so that we are doing the works of Jesus and, it should say, we will do greater works. Let's go through that again, just in case we missed part of that. Jesus is working through those who believe in him so that we're doing the works of Jesus and we'll do greater works. That in verse... um, Verse 12, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, what is Jesus saying here? I will do greater works. Okay, let's think about it for a moment. Hmm, okay, what are some of the works that Jesus did? All right, well, he fed the 5,000 with five loaves and, you know, two fish. Does that mean that I can feed 6,000? With five loaves and two fish? Well, what else does Jesus do in the Gospel of John? Well, he, he, he calms a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Can I calm a Category 5 hurricane in the Atlantic? Well, Jesus raises a man who has been dead and buried for four days. Can I raise a man who's been dead and buried for five days? What is Jesus saying? 
What is Jesus saying? By the way, we don't see any of the apostles do anything that closely resembles what Jesus did. We, see, we do see people raised from the dead in the book of Acts by both Peter and by Paul, but they weren't dead and buried for four days. We see them do some pretty spectacular miracles, but we don't see anywhere close to the number of miracles in the book of Acts that we see in the Gospels, nor do we see them in the same measure of what we see in the Gospels. But Jesus says we'll do greater works than he does. So the question is, when have you done a miracle lately? Okay? Or what is Jesus saying when he says you will do greater uh, uh, greater works than these? Okay? A guy named Grant Osborne, smarter than I am, a whole lot smarter than I am. Part of how I prepare for my preaching, I spend a lot of time in the text. I don't study what other people have written. I study the scriptures. Okay? But I read people who are smarter than me. I do. Because I would be foolish not to. And I look at what are their insights. Because I think sometimes they can help me with mine. And they can help me more accurately pre- present the scriptures to you. A guy named Grant Osborne, brilliant guy. Uh, used to treat, t- teach at Divinity Evangelical, uh, Evangelical Divinity School uh, in Deerfield, Illinois. I think he may still be there. Uh, he's written a few books, but Grant Osborne, and, and these are not his words. This is me taking his words and trying to make it a little more understandable in this context. Um, what, you know, he raises this question. Osborne raises this question. What could we do that would be greater than giving physical life to a man who had been dead and buried for four days? What could we do? What could you do that would be greater than that? What could I do? And yet Jesus says we're going to do greater works. Um, and he, he, he says the greater miracle isn't the miracle of physical life given to a dead body. Now, that's a pretty spectacular miracle. Wouldn't you agree? Anybody ever seen a dead person raised from the dead who'd been dead for four days and buried for four days? I've never seen that. Never seen that. Now, I know a guy who was resuscitated shortly after he had died, but it was a resuscitation immediately after his death. But I've never seen someone raised from the dead who'd been dead for four days. Um. The greater miracle isn't the miracle of physical life given to a dead body. It is the gift of eternal life given to a lost soul. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, miracles happen every day. And a lot of times you don't even see it. In this moment, in this place right now, there could be miracles happening around you and you don't even see it. And it is a, see, here's the thing is, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but guess what? He died again. But when God gives spiritual life to a person, they live forever. I believe, I believe that the greater things are, and I'm not saying God does not work miraculously today, and I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for miracles. I, I pray for miracles all the time. I do. I pray for healing for people that I love and care for. I do. Uh, but but the, the, the more important thing here is that the greater work is that God has sent you and he has sent me to invite people to follow Jesus. That is the mission of every follower of Jesus. If you're still on this planet, if you are still breathing, if you breathe today, you are given breath for the purpose of 
inviting people to follow Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, follow me and I will make you to be fishers of men. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. The reason we do things like what we did yesterday is not just so people have fun. And not just because we're trying to be nice. We are really trying to build real gospel bridges into our community. We are trying to really plant real gospel seeds. We are really trying to invite people to follow Jesus with us. And if you are watching online and you are one of the families who came yesterday or one of the people who came, we want you to follow Jesus with us. Because in him, you can have eternal life. In him, he is preparing for you a home. Um, I'm, I'm going to skip the, the quote from the ESV study Bible on this, okay? It's unnecessary. Very, very quickly related to this, what is Jesus saying when he says here in verses 13 and 14? Um, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, you ever pray for something and it didn't happen? You ever do that? You ever had that experience? Have you ever prayed for something that was pretty fantastic and it did happen? I caught a rod and wheel, a fishing pole, that was sunk in 100 feet of water in the Pacific Ocean. Maybe It may have been deeper. I don't know. We were two miles out. That was pretty spectacular. It is hard to do. I prayed, God, help me to catch that rod and reel because it was my fa- friend's favorite rod and reel. And I, I caught it on my, with my fishing glide, and I pulled it in. Uh, it was pretty spectacular. I don't know how to explain it. I wish he had answered my prayer when I said, God, please help me to win the lottery. I mean, I could have, if I won the lottery, I could have bought my friend a whole bunch of rods and reels. Okay, okay, real quickly. What is Jesus saying here? Is this some kind of magical incantation? That if I say, in the name of Jesus, at the end of my prayer, I'm going to get what I want. In the name of Jesus, I pray I'll win the lottery. This is funny. This week, I have a friend of mine. We were talking. And he said, how can I pray for you? I said, pray I win the lottery. And he actually wrote it down on a sheet of paper. I said, well, I was just kidding. And then I talked to him about some things that are very, very important to me. And I talked to him about a couple of people who are very, very dear to me. And they're a lot more valuable to me than the lottery. And you know what? If I could have how I want to see God work in their lives instead of the lottery, I would much rather see God work in their lives. You know, this is not some kind of a blanket promise that we can apply to selfish prayer. When we pray in the name of Jesus, two things that I want to say about this that's hugely important for you to understand. Number one, what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? This is what it means, number one, that we pray by the authority of his name. Let me explain it to you this way. Let's go back in in history 2,000 years. Let's pretend for a moment I am a Roman soldier, a mere soldier, a grunt who carries a sword for the purpose of killing everybody that the emperor does not like. That is my job, kill as many other people as I can for the emperor. And he sends me on a mission. And he sends me on a mission with a message to a general. And my message to this general is, I'm going to tell this general what to do and how to run his army. When the general receives me and I deliver my message, I have no authority. But because I speak in the name of Caesar, I have all authority. 
You understand what I'm saying here? Is we do not pray, when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're not coming to God on our authority. We're coming to God with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, praying in the name of Jesus means praying by his authority. But secondly, praying in the name of Jesus means this. It means praying the way Jesus would pray if he would pray for me. It means praying the way Jesus would pray if Jesus were me and he were praying for you. Jesus probably wouldn't pray for me to win the lottery. Jesus probably wouldn't pray for you to win the lottery. And if we want to know what it means to pray in the name of Jesus, we need to really spend some time reflecting on the prayers of Jesus. And our prayers should begin to look more like the prayers of Jesus and what he valued and what was important to him than what we sometimes value in this world. So in John chapter 17, we see an entire, just a couple chapters later, we see what the prayers of Jesus look like. When Jesus prays, this is how he prays. He prays, he prays that God will be glorified in him even though he's going to the cross. When Jesus prays, he prays uh, that we, meaning you and me and this church, that we will be one and we will be unified just as the Father and the Son are one. He prays for our unity. That's what it looks like to pray in the name of Jesus. When was the last time you prayed for unity in the church? See, when Jesus prays, he prays that God will be glorified. When Jesus prays, he prays for our unity. When Jesus prays, he prays that God will protect you, that God will protect me, so that he will protect us from the evil one, that none of us will be lost. That's how Jesus prays. When Jesus prays, he prays that I will be sanctified, that you will be sanctified by the truth of God's word. That's how Jesus prays. And people, praying in the name of Jesus means praying with the authority of Jesus and praying for the things that Jesus would pray for if he were you and if he were me. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come on back up. You know, in this world, we will have trouble. But we must not be consumed by our troubles. Jesus is preparing an eternal home for us. He is the one and only way to God. He is the physical manifestation or the physical expression of the invisible God. And he is himself God. And he is working through all who believe in him. So that we are doing even greater works through him and for him. Let's pray. God, you are great and awesome. You are good. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for going to the cross for us. Lord, what we want to do is we do experience trouble in this world. But what we want to do is we want to find comfort in your promises, in your word. We We want to be less attached to the things of this world and more attached to this home that you're making for us. Uh, this home in heaven, that you are coming again for us. God, we, we want to trust in and believe in you. Lord Jesus, we believe in you because you are the one and only Savior of the world.
that no one comes to the Father except through you. Uh, Lord, we want to... We want to learn how to do the greater works that you are doing in a world to bring lost people to Jesus. God, we want to see you um, work in and through our lives as we pray the way Jesus prayed, by the power and authority of Jesus. And we commit all this to you in Christ's name, for your glory. Gary, let's stand one last time, church, and let's proclaim how great he is.
you. Thank you very much for serving. I'm sorry? Wonderful serving with you. Oh, likewise. And thank you again for the Friday. Yeah, you bet. That was a treat. You bet.